Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 23. We're going to start there, and I'm going to take you to some other passages of Scripture before we're done this morning. um, I'm going to take a one-week break from the letters to the churches in Revelation because it is Mother's Day. And you've heard me, I don't, special days, I I don't always preach a sermon directed to that day, but you do. You really kind of feel compelled to, um, especially these significant days like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, and Easter. You really feel like you have to zero in on those things. Um, and I had a verse of scripture from Matthew on my heart all week long from the very beginning, so that's kind of where this started. But I, I started just to move forward to the letters of Revelation. The next one's the letter of Church of Sardis. You have a name that you live, but you're dead. And I'm like, I can't do that on Mother's Day. I, I ain't going to tackle that on Mother's Day. So I, I switched course and went in the direction the Lord um, moved me to in Matthew chapter 23. We'll get to that text in just a minute. Let me set it up first. I'm not going to tell you which verse it is yet. I'm going to set it up. Um, it, this seems silly, and I'm just... I'm chasing a rabbit for just a minute, but I'm going somewhere with it. Um, as as silly and and it, I, I, I want to just use the word stupid <laughs> um, as it sounds. Our culture is engaged in pronoun wars right now, in that people want to choose their own pronouns. Um, in fact, you can read some personnel policies and look at some personnel training documents now. I've read some this week that um, when you're interacting with people, especially as a new employee, you're supposed to introduce yourself by your name and then tell them how you identify. So my name is Keith Lloyd and my pronouns are. Now my pronouns are he, him, his. Um, but, but, but there's, um, you know, if you're a lady, it's supposed to be she, her, hers, um, if you're talking about a group of people or sometimes people that identify as multiple things now because apparently you can do that in our culture, they may come to you and tell you their name and say, my, name, I, my pronouns are they, them, there. And there's, there's some new ones out there that I've discovered this week. For people that don't identify as male or female, you can now say that my pronouns are Z. Zim. That's all crazy to me. And it's all just very confusing to me. And if I offend you by calling you by the different by pronoun that you don't identify as, I apologize. I just call it like I see it. But um, I agree with Matt Walsh and Ben Shapiro. If you can choose your pronouns, then I want to choose my adjectives. So my name is Keith Lloyd, and I want you to refer to me as handsome, (laughs) intelligent. (laughs) None of that has anything to do with the message today, by the way. (laughs) Other than this, pronouns are important. They are important because they're literally pointing you back to the main subject or the main noun. Um, if, if, if you refer to a, a man in a, in a text like Abraham or one of those other men, then the rest of the text may refer to him just simply by that pronoun, he, him or his. And so pronouns are important. They're just directing us back to the subject or the, to, the, to the noun that we're talking about, person, place, or thing. Um, in the Bible... God is most often referred to as a father. And, and the pronouns that are used um, for God are he, him, and his. Now, you, you are never going to hear me refer to God as our mother. And there are some people out there today, some people in churches, some men who pastor churches, and some women who are pastoring churches who will make reference to God being mother and will refer to God by feminine pronouns. But you'll never hear me refer to God as mother. You'll never hear me refer to God as a she, her, or hers. 
And I'm going to just tell you, Jesus is my example. And if you look at what Jesus said about God, he never used a mother term. He never used a feminine pronoun. So if Jesus is my example, I'm going to refer to God the Father like Jesus referred to God the Father. That said, however, um, I'm, and I'm not going to contradict myself, but, but Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, when God created man, mankind, it says that he created them male and female. He created mankind in his own image. In the image of God created he him. And that's that, those masculine pronouns there are related to mankind. And then he spelled it out and said male and female created he them. So it's clear to me that God didn't just create man in his image, but that he also created woman in his image. That we both bear the image of God. Um, and, and, and I've come to believe and understand through my study and, and through my years of ministry that men and women reflect the nature and personality of God. And, and, and sometimes we do that in different ways, and sometimes we do that in, in varying proportions. And, and the best way to, I, I know to, to, to give you an example of that is that if God created us in his image, and, and if you wanted to look at the holy nature, which is, which is you know, that, that deserving of reverence, that, the fear of God thing, um, not terror, but the reverential fear of God thing. Um, then, then, then you, if you look at the holiness and the authority of God in that, then the man most often is the best reflection of that nature and character. But at the same time, we know that God is love. He says that He is love, and that He is full of um, compassion and mercy and loving kindness. And so when you want to see the, um, the love and compassion of God being illustrated in his creation, you, you would most awfully look at, at the female, at the mother, at the woman. Now, we can both possess those attributes. A, a man can be holy and authoritative and loving and compassionate. And a woman, vice versa, the same is true. Um, but most of the time, and I'm speaking generally, I know there are exceptions to this, most of the time you will see that holiness and authority attribute manifested more in the male figure, which is, I believe, by God design, and the, the love and compassion manifested more in the female counterpart, the helpmate. And, and there's a reason, I think, that God said that I'm going to make you a helpmate. It's not good for you to be alone. I've got a job for you. I've got responsibilities for you. But it's not good for you to be alone. You need somebody to come alongside of you, one like you. And so I, I really think that the woman and the man together help give a, a clearer picture of the image of God that he stamped on mankind. Now, um, here's, here, here's the reality is that we, as far as male and female, we struggle to find a balance in all those things. You know, we, we, we struggle to... I may have some love and compassion in me, but I would err probably on the side of holiness and authority, you know, that I want you to have a reverential fear of me. And a woman would probably be the, 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 the reverse of that, the opposite of that. So we struggle to find our balance in those things. It's easier for us to manifest one or the other, or one in a greater degree than the other. But God is the perfect combination of all those things. And so all of the fullness of God is seen in his holiness and his authority and his love and compassion. And he reflected that in his creation of mankind in male and female. I hope that makes sense to you. But it, it is Mother's Day. And there are a few places in Scripture where, where feminine pronouns are used in a metaphorical way to describe God to us. I'm going to give you two from Isaiah, and then I'm going to look at this text in Matthew. Um, Isaiah chapter 66, verse 13, God is describing himself um, to his people. 
And he says, as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. And you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So God is saying, um, like your mother, like a mother would comfort a child, I'm going to come alongside of you and comfort you. So God is referring to his, I used to joke about, joke and say, if people want me to get in touch with my feminine side, I'm going to put my arm around my wife. But, but there is a feminine side uh, in a man. There is a side of us that, that has that love and compassion. And there is a side of God that will comfort us like only a mother can comfort us. Um, daddies want to run to the kids and just fix it. But mamas will just run to the kids and embrace them. Not have any answers, not have any words, just have a love and embrace. And so God says, um, I'll give you the kind of comfort that a mother would give to her child. Um, if, if it had been left up to me, my babies would have probably died of shaking baby syndrome. Zach almost died in Disney World at, while my wife and my sister were trying to ride Space Mountain. He started crying, and he would not shut up. And it's July the 4th, and it's hot, and there's too many people there for me to be happy about anything. And he started crying, and I did all I could to make him quiet. I stuck bottles in his mouth, pacifiers in his mouth. I bounced him like Cindy bounces him, and apparently my bounce ain't her bounce. And he knew that. And some woman come up and said, let me hold him. And I'm like, if you touch my boy, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> now, that was pre-Jesus days, but I meant it that if she touched him, I was going to hit her. Um, but he cried for two and a half solid hours, and it's all I could do not to just shake him and say, will you stop? And Cindy could grab him, and in 10 seconds, it was all well. God comforts his children like a mother can comfort her child. Nobody can do it that way. Isaiah 49, 15 says, God is again, again comparing himself to a mother. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Now, he acknowledges in his answer that it is possible for a woman to do that. Now, not often, few and far between, but there are some mothers who abandon their kids. But God said, they might, but I won't. Because he's the perfect expression of what he instilled in a mother that that child is my responsibility and I won't forget my responsibility to them. So there's just two that identify God in that mother nature. But my favorite, my favorite metaphors about the nature of God being reflected through femininity are, are, are described in nature itself, in the animal kingdom. And so I'm going to give you, this is a strange message this morning. <laughs> but I started out with this passage in Matthew chapter 23, and, um, and I, and I kind of went from there, just digging out some other passages of Scripture, and I found three that were really intriguing to me that I'm going to share with you this morning. In the animal kingdom, God used a picture of hens, which is a female chicken, a mother eagle, and a she-bear to describe his activity among his people, um, to illustrate his mothering care of his people and for us. And, um, and I think before, before we dig into this, um, I think it's interesting that God put his stamp all over creation and revealed his glory in all of creation. And you can go back to the book of Job and look at this. Um, who put these instincts inside of these animals? God did when he created them. And you look at the book of Job, and, and, and Job made it, God made it very clear to Job, there's a reason that the animals do what they do because I put it in them to do that. I created them to do what they are doing so the image and the nature and the character of God stamped all over his creation the the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament his handiwork we we see his glory in the heavens we know him from the heavens we know him from his handiwork on earth and so even in the animal kingdom God has reflected his glory but in Matthew chapter 23 verse 37 this is the verse that started it all um Jesus is in his last week um Chapter 24 is all about the end time stuff, but he is, he is moving into Jerusalem. He is going into his last week of his life and his ministry. And um, in verse 37, he looks out on that city. 
Jerusalem, the place where God had put his name, the place where God had chosen his people and placed his name. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings, and you would not. Now, I... You just forgive me for a minute, all right? I'm not going. I'm not going to preach exactly what Jesus is talking about in this passage of scripture. I'm, I, I want to play off of the metaphor that he's given. He looks at a city that instead of running to him, they're running away from him. Um, instead of embracing him, they are rejecting him. So Jesus looks at this city and laments. You can you can sense in his words that his heart is full of love and full of compassion for the people that he calls. His children. And he said, I would long to gather you to myself. I have longed. I do long. I want to gather you to myself. And then he used that metaphor of a hen who gathers her chicks under her wings. And then he gave that lamentable, but you would not. I called to you, but you would not. So this is Jesus looking with love and compassion and longing upon, upon wayward children, upon his wayward nation of Israel. And the example that he uses is a hen. Um, calling, you know, that little chicks are some of the most helpless creatures on the face of the earth. they got to be. Uh, I see them at Tractor Supply, man, and they, I mean, what, what's cuter than a baby chick? I mean, those, those things are, um, in fact, Cindy's uh, Aunt Michelle um, as an animal lover, and she was at the funeral yesterday, and, and um, we ate after the funeral. It was funny to me because she's like, um, she's, she was a little bit late getting to the eating after the funeral. She said, I had to stop at the feed store and get some feed for my chickens um, and because they were going to be closed by the time we got through eating. She said, and they had chicks in there, so I got chicks in the car too. <laughs> so... She had to roll her windows down, let air into the chickens. But it's, it's, it's that whole, they're, they're, hope, they're helpless, you, you feel like, and you just want to gather them to yourself. So Jesus is, is, is using a hen, calling her helpless chicks to gather in her wings for protection. Whether it's from a predator, um, I can remember my grandma had chickens, and you let a hawk fly over. Um, and, that, and the shadow of that hawk crossed that chicken yard, and that hen would give a cluck, a certain kind of cluck. I can't make that cluck. Chicken's the only one that knows. That reminds me of Jesus said, my sheep know my name. Them chickens know their mama. And she'd give that cluck, and those biddies would run to her for protection from the predator. Um, they might run to her for, for in, in, in a storm or, or in the cold because underneath her wings there's a place of safety in a place of shelter. So here's the idea of that, of, of what Jesus is saying and, and of the example that he's given of, of a mother hen, and that is that of protection. I, I, I want to pull you to myself to protect you. Protect us from what? Protect us from the enemy that wants to destroy us. Protect us from ourselves, from wandering too far astray. Protect us from... Um, uh, from the wrath of God that's going to be poured out upon a sinful world one day. Jesus said, I, I wanted to gather you. I long for you. I love you. I have compassion on you. I want you to come to me so that I can provide you with the protection, with the safety and the shelter that you need. Now, most mothers have that hen instinct. Most mothers have that hen instinct. It's in them. Um, and, and you might hear a mama complain from time to time about kids being under their feet all the time. Um, especially when the kids are little and mom's trying to get something done. You might hear a woman from time to time complain about kids being all under their feet. And if I, you, the man, you might, father, daddy, you might get home at the end of the day and you may hear your wife say, them youngest have been under my feet all day long. Take them outside and do something with them. But when it comes to protection... When it comes to a, a child being in danger, when it comes to an enemy attacking a child, when it comes to a child experiencing fear, in fact, we sang that song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. And I remember so clearly when we sang that song as a child, I had a, 
there were, I went through a season of life in my childhood where I just had it, and I don't know if it was because one of my grandparents passed. I'm not sure what predicated it, but I went through a season where I just got really afraid to die. And I got really afraid that my mom or my dad were going to die. And I'd lay in my bed at night and, and, um, and, and, and cry. I couldn't sleep. And I remember my mom coming sitting on the bed. One of the songs she sang to me, Jesus loves me. This I know. Why do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. Little ones. I belong to him. Little ones to him belong. You, you might be weak. I might be weak, but he is strong. I remember my mom. She, I tell you what my daddy would do if I was afraid. He said, quit crying go to sleep. Or something like this. If you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah, that's going to work. But, but mama, when a child is facing an enemy or a discomfort or a fear, mama takes on the mother hen, just come to me. Let me hold you. You get yourself under the shelter of my wing. So they might complain about a kid being under their feet, but they ain't never going to complain about a kid being under their wing. And I can tell you that's just as true of my mama today as it was when I was this tall. It's just as true of my wife today as it was when my kids were little. When, when, when they have a fear, when they have trouble, no better place that they want to be than under their mom's wing. Now, I... I, I I want to honor moms this morning, but I want to remind you that this is Jesus who is God in human flesh describing himself to his children. And using that, that hen, that mother figure of a hen, he says, I want you to run to me in your fears in your threatenings, in the storms of life. I want you to hear my voice and run to the cover of my wings. He longs to gather us up like a mother would gather her children unto himself. Now, I found this interesting. This is one of the most, especially in the book of Psalms, you'll find it in some other places, but I'm not going to read them on all those other places. It, in Psalm 17, 8, the psalmist said, keep me as the apple of thy eye. I want, you to, I want your pupils to always be focused on me. Hide me, he said, under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36, 7, how excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. Psalm 61, 4, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert, that is the safety of your wings. 91.4 He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. So God uses this mother hen image and says, I want you when you need protection from the enemy, when you are afraid, when you are facing the storms of life and you need shelter, I want you to run to me when I call you. And then go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. This is Moses' letter to the children of Israel just before they were going to go into the promised land. And in, in, verse, in chapter 32, verse 11, there is a verse that says, As an eagle stirreth up her nest. So we're talking about a, we're talking about a mother eagle. I'm not sure if they had a different name than that, but, a, but an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. And then verse 12 ascribes that metaphor to the Lord. So this is, if you look at the whole context of this, this is Moses' song. Moses is singing a praise song. And he is, he is reflecting on what God has done in making Israel his children. 
You, you didn't make us your own because we were more than any other people. You didn't make us your own because we were smarter than any other people. You didn't make us your own because, um, b- b- because we were more beautiful than any other people. You, you, you made us your, he's reflecting on the goodness of God in making the nation of Israel his children. And he uses a metaphor, an example in this song of a, of a mother eagle. Now if you'll notice, there's a lot of descriptive words in that. This is a mother eagle. The her pronoun points us back to this being a mother She stirs up the nest, she flutters over her young, she spreads abroad her wings, she taketh them and beareth them on her wings. So all those are action words. This is what this mother eagle is doing for them, stirring, fluttering, spreading, taking, bearing them. So so this is the word that came to my mind, uh, and and it's the word promotion. Because when I looked up those words, and I did with the Blue Letter Bible, I looked them all up, spread them out on my a computer, um, I found out that, that, that this is all about her preparing them for what's ahead in their life. It's all about what she does to get them ready to leave that nest. So it is, the eagle is about the promotion of those chicks that are in her nest. She, 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 shakes, she stirs up the nest, which means that she wakes them. Um, she, she, um, she, she, she flutters. The word there is broods over. Um, that was the definition of that word. She broods over. She, she nurtures them in that regard. The mother is the one who, who will wake those children up, who will stir them up, who will brood over or nurture them. Um, she takes them. That is that she teaches them. She spreads out her wings. Um, um, she spreads out. That's her teaching. Um, she takes them, that is she carries them before they fly and then she beareth them and that's the idea of catching them. So this is what that mother eagle is doing for those chicks in the nest. I, I stir you up, I wake you up, I nurture you, I teach you. Before you can learn to fly, I carry you. And when you begin to fall, I will catch you. Um, I thought it interesting, I was reading some, and I don't know, I've never seen this happen before, but, I, um, but, but there is some evidence that when a mother eagle starts trying to teach her eaglets to fly, um, that she will eventually push them out of the nest, and if they don't get it, she comes underneath them and catches them up and carries them back to the nest, spreads abroad her wings and shows them again how to do it, pushes them out, and it's a process of, of carrying and catching and carrying and catching and teaching and carrying and catching. So this is what a mother eagle does, and this is how God uh, is describing um, a, a mothering instinct. And, and, and most mothers have that eagle instinct. Most, if, you, if you think about our mothers, they are the first and primary nurturers and trainers in the home. Now, Dad might take over later on. I mean, my mom didn't teach me how to change the oil in my car. But, but she laid the foundational work for everything that my daddy would teach me. And, and it's true that up until about 18 months, two years old, especially that the mother becomes the primary nurturer, the primary teacher, the primary one that's putting stuff in their kids. Most kids are learning to talk because mom's talking to them. Most kids are learning songs because mom's singing to them. Most kids are learning to walk because mom's taking them and, and, and every day trying to teach them. Um, how to walk. So they are, they are the first, the primary nurturers and trainers. And, um, and that, may be why, that, that may be why mothers seem to struggle more with empty nests because the job is done. Now I'm going to tell you something. I love empty nests. I love it. Now I don't mean that ugly. I love my kids. But I'm glad they're flying on their own now. Now, if Cindy had her way, she'd move them all back in. Um, she spent most of her life preparing them to be who they are today. She woke them up most mornings. She stirred them. She brooded over them. And she still does that. Listen, my wife will fix a 20-course meal on Sundays. Not because we need to eat that much food, but because she's going to have at least two items in every meal that all the youngins like. So she's going to cater to Zach, Zeb, Sarah, and now the in-laws and the grand youngins are thrown in the mix. So we got all kind of food on Sundays. And I eat it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. <laughs> and then we throw it out on Saturday and start all over again. 
and, and because it's got stuff growing on it by the end. But, but mama does that. That's what mamas do. They are the primary. They are like that eagle who, who sits on that nest and who knows that my first and primary responsibility is to make sure these kids can fly. You ain't got no bigger cheerleader in this world in most cases than a mama. No bigger cheerleader, no, no, nobody that works harder to help you succeed from the very start even than a mother. And again, I want to point you back to the fact that this is Moses describing God. This is Moses describing this is the God who brought us out of, and he, he went way back to Abraham and Jacob. This is the God who brought us out of obscurity, who has awakened us, who has nurtured us, who has taught us, who has carried us, and who's called us. By Him, by, by fixing our heart and our eyes and our mind upon Him. The prophet said, they that wait upon the Lord, in Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord. What does that mean? Those that keep their eyes on Him. Those that look to Him. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. By the Lord's presence in our life and by our mom's presence in our life, we are promoted. One more verse, Jose, right after the book of Daniel. This is the hardest, this is probably going to be the hardest one for me to relate to you, but Jose chapter 13 and verse 8. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps. So this ain't just a bear, this is a she-bear. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the call of their heart, and there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. Now, <clears throat> I'm, not, I'm, I don't want to tw I'm not twisting this out of context. I hope I can make you see that. Because the, the analogy that's being, or the picture that's being painted here is that God is looking in righteous anger upon a rebellious and spiritually adulterous nation. That's what the book of Hosea is all about, that his people are act, are, they keep playing the part of the whore. They keep committing spiritual adultery. And so this is, the picture is that God is looking in righteous indignation um, on, on a rebellious and spiritually adulterous nation. And the example he uses is of a she-bear. He said, my anger towards you is going to be like a she-bear that has been separated from her cubs. She is bereaved of her cubs. She's been separated from her cubs. And so here's the idea I want you to see, and I'm, I hope I can explain it to you and, not, and you not think I'm completely destroying the context of it. But, the, but there's a female description given of God in this she-bear, in his righteous anger. And so the, the idea that I want to present to you this morning is the, is the idea of, of provocation, that you have made me angry. You have made me angry. And, and in, in the text that we read, the anger is directed at Israel, which is God's children. But you understand that although God was angry with Israel, there's going to be a greater degree of anger that is going to be poured out on those who hurt Israel than he ever inflicted on Israel. And, and I, I looked, I, could, I, could have, I couldn't find one that said it just like I wanted to say it, but you can look in every one of the prophets. Every time God promised Israel that he was going to discipline them, that he was going to punish them for their for their rebellious nature. And he was angry with them at the way that they treated him. But in every one of the prophets, there was also a promise of restoration. And then God always said, I've done this to you. 
sent you away into 70 years of Babylonian captivity. I, I, I've, you made me angry and I've disciplined you for that. But woe be to the one that exercised that discipline. Babylon was destroyed overnight. You, you see all that in the book of Daniel. So over and over God said this. I'm going to deal with you. You're my children. I'm going to deal with you. But I'm going to deal worse with those who dealt with you. Those nations that have not acknowledged me, they are not my children. I am not their God. What they get will be exponentially worse than anything that you've ever seen. Now, 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 now let, me, let me see if I can make this make sense to you. Most mamas have mama bear syndrome. I mean, there's a reason that became popular, a popular term. That, that mama bear syndrome. Now, their children might provoke them to discipline. Amen. You can say amen, mamas. Listen, my mama, probably first one, my daddy gave the most memorable whippings. I can remember a lot of my daddy's whippings vividly. But honestly, my mom probably gave me more. Switching them legs. I remember one time in the youth choir, I thought about it when I said it a while ago, in the youth choir, me and Ray was cutting up. My mama took her shoe off. It was a flat bottom like a sandal. And plumb embarrassing to me, boy, I was in front of the whole church and mama shooed me. <laughs> and mamas would tote spoons with them and whip you in the back seat. They don't even see who they're hitting or what they're hitting. They're just slinging the spoon. <laughs> don't tell me that mama can't go she-bear on her own children because she can. Yeah. Stinching cord. Grandma get a switch after, and if you brought a big one, she'd say, you know that ain't going to work. Because the big ones wouldn't rat. Grandma wanted them a little slender. She wanted them slender peach tree or plum tree switches. She'd rip them leaves off of that thing and you'd like, oh, Lord. I gave you an illustration of what it looked like. It's a miracle I ain't cleared this stage already. I remember I was thinking about this this morning. My little brother's last one born, bless his heart. Um, he tried to run for mom. He didn't have no sense. He'd go out the front door of the house running for mama to try to get. I, I, I learned this early on. You ain't going to get away from a whipping. You just ain't. Just going to take it. But little brother run out the front door and he'd run around the house. That didn't matter. I said, son, if you're going to run, run away from the house. <laughs> he never learned that lesson. Mama wouldn't even chase him. She'd just go to the sliding black door. And when he came by, she'd clothesline him. <laughs> and then she'd whip him. But he shot me one time with the BB gun in the back at Granny's. I didn't have no shirt on. Welt me up. And I just went to the house and that thing hurt. I told Mama, I said, Stephen shot me in the back with the BB gun. She took the BB gun from Stephen and started cocking it. Now, Mama didn't know that the BB gun, you only got cock it one time. But she was cocking it. And she said to Stephen, she said, run. And Stephen's like, what's this about? And I just said, you better run. It's going to hurt worse if you up close. And I honestly felt sorry for him before that was over with. And he done shot me. But I felt sorry for him because Mama was tagging him. <laughs> She's shooting him. She's going to break him from shooting us with the BB gun. He was bad about doing that stuff. She broke that up. And I had to tell her, I said, Mom, if you ever get one of the pellet guns, don't pump it more than once. Because you'll kill one of us with that thing. <laughs> so mama can get mad with kids and, and, and be a disciplinarian when she needs to be a disciplinarian. But you better not hurt her, babies. And that's what God's saying to Israel. I'm going to punish you. But the one I used to punish you, they're going to get a double dose of my wrath. That's what the book of Revelation is about. In fact, you read Jeremiah, I believe it's in chapter 6, Jeremiah said that the tribulation is Jacob's time of trouble, which means I'm going to punish my people in the tribulation. But Jacob, 
which is the nation of Israel, is going to be saved out of it. But the nations of the world who are doing everything they can during the tribulation to destroy Israel, they're not going to make it. Why? Because the mama bear's coming. And though, though, those, though those children of Israel may have provoked God to wrath, the nations of this world that did what they could to destroy them provoked him more. She'll do whatever it takes to rescue. And she may discipline her kids, but she'll destroy those who try to destroy them. And so, and so God is describing his anger to Israel but he also reminds us that that anger is going to be turned back upon the enemies. And God disciplines us for the same reasons Mama disciplines us. To bring about our correction. To exercise us. To help us grow. But, but God doesn't discipline. In fact, the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12. If God doesn't discipline you, then you're not his child. God doesn't discipline people that are not his children. He will execute judgment upon them. So the difference is discipline and destruction. A mama ain't never whipped a child to destroy him. A mama whips a child to discipline. I just thought those three metaphors of a hen, an eagle, and a bear are very descriptive of our experience with mothers. And they are all, God gave them every one to us as a picture of himself. Mother's Day is a big day. I found out just looking at a few statistics, 84% of the people that were surveyed said that they celebrated Mother's Day in some kind of way. It is the third biggest floral holiday in the country behind Christmas and Valentine's Day. $3.2 billion spent on flowers. Cindy got some of that this week from her eldest son, and her daughter tried to take some credit for it. Cindy thought all of her kids got together and sent her flowers. That was just sad. So Cindy's messing her children, thanking them for the flowers. And Sarah's like, I didn't send the flowers. Where'd they come from? So then she's texting Zach, tell Mama we all chipped in. <laughs> Zeb just thinks all I got to do is hug my mama, and that's all I, she needs me. 36 billion dollars spent on Mother's Day. 113 million Mother's Day cards sold. Second in card sales, second only to, to Christmas. I read this illustration. I might have shared it with you before. A chaplain in a prison system ministering to 500 prisoners week in, week out. Employee of the system. Thought, you know what? In his interactions with the prisoners, a lot of them talk about their mothers and so he called a greeting card company and asked them if they would provide free Mother's Day cards for the inmates of that prison. They donated 500 cards, good, good public relations move. They donated 500 cards, every card. They, the men were standing in line to get those Mother's Day cards. Every card was taken, every card was written in, every card was placed in an envelope, every card was mailed. He thought, man, that went over better than I ever thought it would. And so Father's Day, he called the greeting card company and said, hey, what about doing the same thing for Father's Day? Sure. Good public relations. Not one card. Out of 500 cards, not one car. Because most of those people that were in there were incarcerated. Partly because they carried a daddy wound in their heart. Because they had a daddy that was not there, that was absent, that was vacant from their life. Or that set a poor example for them. And, and, and I just said that to say this. It's clear. It's clear from all the statistics that we place a great deal more value on mothers than mothers place on themselves. You know what men struggle with? Pride. You know what women struggle with? Low self-esteem. But I'm here to tell you, women, 
You're far more valuable to us. And, and I, I get it sometimes. I, I understand this sometimes that men that have, in fact, this is, a, this is Mitch Griffin's ministry in a nutshell. If you carry a daddy wound around with you, you have a hard time relating to God the Father. You just have a hard time making that connection. If you had a bad daddy, you have a really hard time looking at God as a good father. And so I think sometimes it, it helps to see God in, in, a, in, that, in that light of motherhood. That the same God who created man created a woman and he put some of himself in her too. And so these things that you love about your mom, you love out about God too. Because he put that in her. She is a reflection of him. Um, I'll say it again, I'm done. God's our father, not our mother. But we ought to be profoundly grateful that we can see so much of him built into her. Amen. So let me just summarize it. God is uh, or like our heavenly father. Our earthly mothers are the hens who protect, the eagles who promote, the she-bears that are provoked to rise up in discipline or to execute our defense. And we love you, mamas. Can we stand together as our musicians come? Lord, I tried my best to honor mothers and to honor you this morning. I'm grateful, Lord. You, you gave me a an incredible father and an incredible mother. Um, I don't have any reason to see you in any way except in a positive light. You stamped your image in them and, and I experienced it. It was easy for me to come to you. I'm grateful for the mothers who manifest these attributes that God put in them look so much like Him and His love and His compassion, His nurture. Even that exercise of discipline and that, that promise to come against our enemies, we're grateful for that. So I'm thankful, Lord, for all the hens in here. Thankful for all the... Mother eagles in here, thankful, Lord, for the she-bear even. And um, <clears throat> thankful most of all that what we see and love in them um, is a reflection of you. And so, Lord, this morning, we, as we honor them, we also give you glory and praise for who you are. If there's one here this morning that needs to be saved, I know this hasn't been an invitational, uh, an evangelical message, but if there's somebody here that needs to be saved, I pray that they've seen something in you, Father, that have drawn, that have drawn them to you this morning, and that today would be a day of salvation. I, I know that this is true. It might be hard for us to think about. But there ain't a mama in heaven or a mama in hell that ain't rooting for their children this morning to make the right decisions to choose the right path to make their peace with the heavenly father and find that place of heaven to be our eternal home we need to move towards you this morning, Father. I pray you'd help us to do that in this invitation. And we'll praise you in Jesus' name for all you do. Amen. Amen. What will it be like when my pain is gone and all the worries of this world just fade away?
Welcome to the place where you 